The hosts feel it would be a little unkind to present this podcast without just a word of friendly warning. We are about to unfold the story of Frankenstein, a man of science who sought to create a man after his own image without reckoning upon God. It is one of the strangest tales ever told. It deals with the two great mysteries of creation, life and death. I think it will thrill you. It may shock you. It might even horrify you. So if any of you feel that you do not care to subject your nerves to such a strain, now's your chance to. Well, we've warned you. Hello and welcome once again to the Frankencast. I'm the mad scientist, Anthony Bowman. My pronouns are he, him, and I'm joined as always by... The magnificent flowing bath science robe that is Eric Velasquez. My pronouns are also he, him. So this movie, uh, so we're doing Mary Shelley's Frankenstein this week, uh, as we as we mentioned last week. Just got this fancy Arrow video reissue, and I gotta say, I didn't remember really being that crazy about this movie, but I loved it this time. I got so into this movie. It's pretty good. Like yeah. this is the. This is the most book accurate one we've seen so far. Oh, for sure. And like in the past, you know, when things have been less than accurate, it's usually about like streamlining the story or just focusing on like the horror or whatever. But this, anytime that it's like changed, it actually kind of digs deeper into characters or kind of makes some connections that weren't there in the book. So like rather than simplifying things, every time it diverts from the book, it really kind of complicates things in interesting ways. Well, yeah, I mean, th- it took a, its cues from Bram Stoker's Dracula, which came out two years prior right oh yeah so that that we dug deeper we actually tied dracula the person in history to the mythological character that is dracula as opposed to just having a really cool name dracula (laughs) yeah you know so of course we're gonna go even we're just gonna go just as deep for mary shelley's frankenstein so kind of it is made by the same people more or less i believe yeah i think some of the production you know um obviously the Bram Stoker's Dracula was Francis Ford Coppola, and this Mm -hmm. is directed by Kenneth Branagh, who plays Victor Frankenstein in it. He has directed a lot of Shakespeare adaptations, and I think in recent years, he did like a couple uh, Agatha Christie adaptations. He did the um, Murder on the Orient Express a couple years ago that I think was kind of a mild blockbuster. You know, it's kind of had a lot of big name actors and stuff in it. But he's got another one coming out. What, Death on the Nile and... Yeah, I think so. That's like a sequel to that one. But I think he kind of has a reputation as being sort of like an actor's director. You know, it's a lot. It's not about the, you know, the movie, the sets, the all that. It's, you know, that's why he does Shakespeare acting. stuff. You know, it's acting. It's, you know, it's kind of stark backdrops, stark props. You know, it's mostly just like people who are well-trained actors doing Shakespeare, you know. So he kind of maybe has a reputation as being sort of like dry. But this movie is not that. This movie's big in in like every way. Yeah, we've got some blood and guts. We've got some gore. We've got some action. We've we've got all the good stuff in it. Yeah. there's It's a wet. It's very wet. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And also, this, this thing is studded with stars. Like... Once, once again, we have Kenneth Branagh as lead as Victor Frankenstein, right? Mm-hmm. So we also have uh, Robert De Niro as the the creature or the monster, as we like to call him. We got um, we got Helena Bonham Carter as as Elizabeth. Uh, we got we got Bilbo Baggins himself, Ian Holm. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep a couple names to myself here. 
I will mention that uh, Henry Clerval is uh, played by Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart. Yes. If you're a big fan of that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, when he comes up, I, I was like, is that, is that him? Man? Right? Yep, sure enough. <laughs> right? He seemed somewhat more sane in this one, but, you know, we'll get to that. Yeah, he's, he's a lot more reined in, which is why it took me a second to be c- confident that it was him because it's such a right. different role. Oh, there's a few. There's a few people that are like, is that, is that, who is that? Is that who I think that is? Well, and even like Helena Bonham Carter, like, you know, she's kind of got like a reputation as like, she plays like the crazy goth girls and all the Tim Burton movies and, you know, uh, Bellatrix from Harry Potter and stuff. But this is a much more like even keeled measured role and it really works. Like she is really, really good in this. Yeah. I mean, it's still in that wheelhouse, right? (laughs) Oh yeah. Especially by the end of it. But but I think that's what makes it really work so well is that she plays the tame character. And then when you get to the end, it's, it's really, really cool. I mean, and also, you know, she's the happy one. She's like the, Hey, let's, let's live life. Yeah. As opposed to just being, you know, kind of dour and dark. Exactly. But all right. So we start with some text crawl. It's the dawn of the 19th century, a world brink on revolutionary change. Uh, I don't think any of this is actually from the book. Yeah, I don't think so either. I, I think there's there's like a little quote before that that I think might be from like a Mary Shelley about yeah. writing the book. Correct. I, think, I do yeah. believe that is the case. Yeah, but then we get like the sort of like Star Wars crawl that sort of sets the <laughs> stage. And then we cut to a ship in a storm in the Arctic Sea, which I think is the first time we've seen this in any of the movies yep. we've talked about and is how the uh, the novel starts. So we're already, mm-hmm. you know, batting a thousand as far as like following the book. And, you know, this the ship kind of it's like a storm. It gets stuck up against an iceberg and kind of frozen in. Yeah, it turns out the captain's uh, he's a little obsessed with finding that Northwest Passage. Oh, yeah. And, and even his crew are like, hey, listen, man, if we don't turn back, we're going to do a mutiny. Yeah. We're just letting you know. Yeah. He's, he's kind of like, as soon as we get our, you know, chop our way free, we're going to keep going to the, to the North Pole. Uh, mm-hmm. And like his first mate's like, seriously, they're they're going to mutiny if you don't change your, your mind here. Yeah. It's like his selfish desires are possibly going to get him hurt. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, and that metaphor definitely comes into play as it goes in a way that I don't think really gets hammered home in the novel the way that it does here. Um, but yeah, before they can kind of make a decision one way or the other, a man on a dog sled uh, approaches, uh, and so they get you know they're all out of the ship, kind of chopping at the ice and stuff. Uh, and so he kind of pulls up next to him and is like, all right, uh, I don't have time to talk. Everybody grab your weapons, follow me. And, and everyone's like, we're going to kill something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And the captain's like, dude, I'm the captain. <laughs> like, right. I, I give the orders around here. We're not just going to follow you out into the ice with all of our weapons. <laughs> but before they really have something to say, we get a little bit of a moan. And then the dogs uh, break free of their restraints and go after whatever that is. And they're not around for too much longer after that. Yeah, they take off and it's like they the, the men kind of get ready like they're going to like go chase the dogs down. And this mysterious man is like, leave them. They're already dead. And then we like mm-hmm. hear all these like sounds of dogs in pain and like some quick cuts of like bloody dogs. And like you don't really see much, but like clearly hand swipes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the guy was right. The dogs are dead. Yeah, effectively. Well, it turns out. That uh, the men believe the devil himself is after the captain because he's so obsessed with finding this passage through the North Pole. Yeah, and so then they they get the man onto the ship, and the man Mm -hmm. says that he'll tell his story so he can explain what's going on. And, you know, then, of course, he introduces himself as Victor Frankenstein. 
dun 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 and that's when we <laughs> begin the story in earnest yeah so, so we got a, the most of this movie then you know it's like a flashback from this point flashback so far that like we actually start with like a young victor um, right but before we get this though did you did you get the line where uh Victor recognizes game recognizes game to us in a degree where uh, Victor is like you you've got my madness don't you <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> yeah to hammer the point home that we uh, we mentioned earlier yeah exactly so they're both cut from the same cloth they're very single minded they have their goal and they're gonna keep pushing no matter what consequences be damned <laughs> yes <laughs> so then we get into the flashback and we get like young Victor and he's dancing with his mother. Uh, his family is like they're very happy and loving you know you get this whole you know this is what they're doing for entertainment they're just like have somebody playing the harpsichord they're all just kind of dancing around this sort of ballroom this massive cavernous ballroom oh it's huge yeah (laughs) yeah it looks it it looks like something out of the 1940s like a set from the 1940s movies or the uh, universal movies kind of like german expressionism because the stairs are like they're wider at the bottom Mm -hmm. and slowly taper as you go up yeah. But also, there's no rails. <laughs> there's no rails on these stairs. <laughs> so we meet Victor's father, the the aforementioned uh, Bilbo Baggins. <laughs> Ian Holman. <so. laughs> and he is escorting an, a young orphan girl named Elizabeth that the family has decided to take in. But yeah, and they meet off, and they uh, they seem to hit it off at that point. Yeah. Victor and Elizabeth. And then we sort of immediately get to, like, still young, but now played by our adult characters. Uh, We we get uh, Victor. He's studying. His mother comes in to talk to him. She's very pregnant. And she kind of talks about how he was always serious, even when he was a boy. And she tells this whole story about him collecting fireflies. A lot of kids collect fireflies because they're just kind of fascinated with the bugs or whatever. But he wanted to use them as a lantern so that he could stay up all night reading. Uh, but as happens when you put a bunch of bugs in a jar they ended up dying Uh, yeah you need to poke some holes give them some food you know (laughs) yeah but so you know we're already getting this stuff about that he's very studious and he's like playing with life and death we're already kind of getting a good picture of who victor is but i think that this victor is a more well-rounded real human portrayal than we've had in any of the other movies we've seen so far because yeah she kind of is like there's more to life than studies you know you, you should enjoy life spend time with people you love and they he does like he they go downstairs and they dance again and it's you know it's victor and his mom and the dad's there and elizabeth and they've got a servant girl named justine and everybody's kind of taking turns playing at the harpsichord and dancing and everybody's you know just having a great time and like we never really get those kind of scenes with victor in in any of these other movies not at all even with his uh his kids in the universal movies it's pretty much there of the one mind or they, they, they've got a couple notes, but they're not as fully fleshed out as this victim. Yeah. I mean, he goes through the whole gambit of pain, happiness, you know, sorrow, yeah. everything. And speaking of, of pain and sorrow, um, in the middle of, of the dance, the mother collapses. And, you know, we as I just mentioned, she was she's very pregnant. So we pretty much cut right to her giving birth and things aren't going well. Yeah. I mean, you know, things are going bad. When Bilbo is half naked, covered in blood, yeah, trying to deliver a baby, yeah. Victor's father is a doctor in this as well, so you know, thankfully he was there and is able to try to help. But yeah, there's a lot of blood. Apparently, the baby is breached, maybe, and she says, he "Cut me to save the baby." Right. So you know, she's. It's one of those things where we've seen this play out in, in a lot of different movies. It's the mom or the baby, or possibly they might both die if we don't make a quick decision. Exactly. So yeah. 
The next thing we see is the father saying, I did everything I could, and he's just, you know, completely covered in blood. Well, not only that, but we have uh, Frankenstein Victor himself declaring that his father is the greatest doctor in Geneva. And of course, God says, well, maybe not so much as he, <laughs> as lightning strikes a tree in the most dramatic fashion. Right? Yeah. So, so yeah. you know, then Victor is like screaming, bring her back, bring her back. Then we pretty much, it cuts to like three years later. Right. Uh, Victor's at her grave. Here we kind of get the impetus for where he's going to go in life. He's talking to her and says, you know, no one should have to die like this. I will stop this. Like, right. Um, so I think in the book, his mom does die, but I don't really think that it's from a birth. But either way, like this really kind of hammers home that like his intentions for this whole, all this stuff with like life and death, it's from a personal place. You know, it's not yeah. just because he cares about science or anything he had a very personal death that is affecting him and he wants to prevent this from happening in the future. Yeah, as someone who's lost a parent, uh, big mood. <laughs> yeah. Uh, for yeah. real. Yeah. Yeah. So then we get Victor's lab and he's already kind of doing some very preliminary experiments. Mm -hmm. He's got a puppet of a dog that he's controlling with like heat. So he's just kind of seeing how like energy can be passed from one thing to another. And it's not our usual like disembodied hand with electricity running through it. But it's like it's kind of the same thing where he's figuring out how to transfer energy in such a way as to like give at least the illusion of life to start with. Oh, don't worry about that disembodied hand. We're going to get there. But anyway, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, he gives the whole energy never is destroyed. It just converts into something else, right? Yeah. But again, like even still, even after the death of his mother and, you know, him kind of really honing in on his studies, Elizabeth comes in and she's like, you need to get out and have fun. She picks up this little like water jet thing and is like, what is this mm -hmm. for? And he's like, it's to keep the electric eels moistened. And she's like, <laughs> right. what? And she just starts squirting him with a squirt, you know, with a squirt gun. Uh, yeah. And they end up. They, do. They, they go on a picnic. So, like, you know, yeah. he, he's willing to get out and see the world still. But only a picnic. <laughs> yeah. We've also got to fly kites. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, they get out there, and it's it's everybody. It's Victor, Elizabeth, uh, Justine, the servant, um, young uh, Willie, who was the, you know, the baby who was born when, when their mother died, um, and, you know, who's a couple years older now. Uh, they're all out on this, like, beautiful hillside. Uh, but it's, you know, as you said, Victor knows that there's going to be an electrical storm. So he's brought kites and various like lightning rod things and, you know, is continuing his studies. But at least he's, you know, not locked himself away from his family as you were used to seeing. As a matter of fact, he's going to make this experiment a family affair uh, as he prepares a lightning rod <laughs> as a another cloud just comes drifting in. Yeah. A storm cloud. And he j jams it in the ground and is like, all right, everybody, I want you to lay flat on the ground, as flat as you can get. <laughs> and, of course, William, being a, a baby, is like, hey, I want to see what, what's going on here. And we have a little bit of drama where he's like, no, drop your head, drop your head. <laughs> yeah. And, of course, when the lightning strikes the uh, lightning rod, it seems to course through everybody. Everybody's crackling with energy. Yeah. Like they were a superhero. And, like, all right, if anyone's had like a static discharge there is no way you're telling me that they're full of that much electricity they touch fingers and something doesn't explode <laughs> yeah <laughs> okay 
Or at least they have a convulsion. Yeah, if you like drag your feet on the carpet and touch a right. doorknob, it's like ah, shot. Out. <laughs> and they have like blue lightning like coming off of them, like. Right. <laughs> but yeah, somehow they're just loving it. You know, he's like, "How do you feel, Elizabeth?" And she's like, "I feel alive." So we got to have the alive thing. But you know, like yeah. they're they're all really just reveling in this moment, and it's it's a special family sort of moment, I guess. Also, with that "I'm alive" thing, I swear I saw four shadows there. <laughs> but <laughs> as as we as we go further, do you need a drink of? water was that a little bit too dry <laughs> sorry <laughs> So then we cut to, there's a big party. Victor has graduated, I guess, from high school or high whatever school? whatever the high school equivalent is. I, I swear that it was somebody's 111th birthday, though, <laughs> Like because Ian Holm is at the front getting ready to b- do a big speech. So it's like, oh, I've just been taken back to the beginning of the Fellowship of the Ring. Yeah. <laughs> he ends up giving Victor a gift from his mother, who she had, I guess, set aside before her death. It's a journal that says, like, basically, she's inscribed it, like, this is the journal of Victor Frankenstein of Geneva. He's very touched by this, of course. And then we get a moment with Victor and Elizabeth. They've, like, stepped outside of the party, and they're sort of, like, dancing on the balcony. Uh, you can still hear the music, but they're kind of separated from all of the uh, the party goers. Yeah, and they're supposed to be brother and sister, but they're definitely having a mo- more intimate moment. I mean, obviously not by marriage or even blood, but by adoption. Yeah. Yeah, so this isn't quite as creepy as, you know, the brother and sister in uh, Flesh for Frankenstein. But, right. Uh, but, yes, they have fallen in love. And, you know, for this time period, I guess this is not super uncommon, you know, cousins yeah. and stuff like that. But, yeah, they have they have fallen in love. He asks, are you my sister? And she says, like, sister, friend, lover. And then he's like, wife. wife. And, you know, <laughs> so, so he's proposed and she says yes. And he wants to marry right away, but she's like, no, you should go to school i'll take care of the house you know I'll, I'll keep watch on your family and you know when you finish your schooling then we can get married yeah makes sense that's very sensible yeah yeah so then we cut to him at school and um he's renting like a large attic space for a lab uh you know the lady's like this isn't you know really great living space it's this really tall weird attic and he's like nope that's gonna be perfect for what i need <laughs> that's exactly what mm-hmm. i'm looking yep. for <laughs> yep and of course we have a musical sting right at the end it's like ah we know we know this is going to be used for <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> uh and then we get like um some scenes of him at school of course the like classroom is this really kind of weird it's almost like a panopticon kind of building like it's like a round column with balconies all around the outside and the teacher is like on the lower level talking up and everybody's like looking down on him from various levels and his name is crimp which i don't mm-hmm. think is from paul? the book so i think that's definitely a reference to paul from mm-hmm. the movies i might be wrong i might be misremembering i know that the other teacher's name that we hear is from the book uh, and also from the movie. But yeah, either way, like this is definitely like placing itself in the Frankenstein pantheon with lots of little references like this. And Victor is not happy with what Professor Crimp has to say. And they like basically get into a shouting match. Yeah, because the professor is like, listen, you need to hone yourself on actual physical science. And of course, Victor's like, no, 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 no. We should have more philosophy to our science, which... You know, that's up in the air, I guess. <laughs> yeah. But, of course, he brings up ancient, like, alchemists and sorcerers like uh, Agrippa, Paracelsus. These are actual alchemists in history that their science is questionable at best. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, let's mix it into some type of acid and see what happens. 
Yeah, so like Krim's like, we're doctors. We only need to look at hard science. And Victor, he's like, the only way to advance science is to kind of step outside of science and pull things in. Uh, So they kind of both have a point to a certain degree. You know, you do have to kind of, if you stay in what's definitely proven, you're never going to get any better. But it seems like Victor may be pulling from antiquated sources that are not necessarily going to make things better either. Other than that, this is, you know, a science fiction story. So, of course, (laughs) we're going to get some fantastical things where science does things beyond our present capabilities, much less the capabilities (laughs) during that time period. But of course, after this... Henry Clerval introduces himself to Frankenstein. They become fast friends. Yeah, they're like walking along and Henry is definitely also of the mind that Krimp is too stuck in it in the old ways. And they kind of discuss another professor, Professor Waldman. Waldman. Hmm. That's a familiar name. And he he had some trouble with the authorities in the past. There were rumors of illegal experiments. And, you know, yes, of course, like Waldman uh, was a character in the books and we, you know, we know him from the first movie. He was Henry Frankenstein's professor in the in the first movie. But of course, uh, Waldman seems like a kind of mysterious character with a shady past. Yeah. Apparently he's done some experiments in the past relating to dead bodies and reviving them and uh, ran afoul of the law, apparently. Mm hmm. Yeah, so then we kind of get, like, sort of a a bit of a montage. We get, like, some quick scenes of Victor in classes with Waldman where, like, he seems to be doing well. Like, he seems to be kind of thriving in that classroom and having, like, engaged discussions with with the professor. And then you have him with Professor Krempf where he's... Fighting. (laughs) Yeah, arguing with him, not doing so well. And then we get Elizabeth reading a letter. Victor has sent a letter home. She's reading to the family, you know, where he's kind of telling how things are going at school. And then he has a PS that gets a a little bit more racy Racy, that she kind of keeps to herself. (laughs) You know, that's just for her. Yeah. I love that he just puts it all in one letter, though. Like, right. All this stuff like, hey, family, how are you doing? And then at the end, Not- it's like, I miss your breasts. <laughs> right. <laughs> Kissing your body. Yeah. It's it's like he would at least add a note that, hey, maybe don't read this next part to the family. Yeah. But then, of course, uh, we actually get a uh, moment where Victor's basically talking about how he wants to progress Waldman's former works mm-hmm. and advance them a little bit. Yeah, and, they talk uh, about the new science. They use the word mm-hmm. galvanism, which, you know, we see a yeah. lot in these. They kind of discuss something that sounds basically like acupuncture. Like they talk about like ancient, like Asian wisdom where you put little needles into pressure points and then run electricity into them and stuff. But like electricity now, is the key, you know, that's. Oh, yeah. Of course. Electricity is where this all this is all about, right? Oh, yeah. But Waldman sounds a little familiar. I, I'm not sure, <laughs> but he's extremely familiar. Hmm. He kind of has a silly walk, I think. I don't know. But anyway. Yeah, what like what a strange cameo for this movie. And like John Cleese. Yeah, it's great. Like and he's just a, a completely serious role and he's not in it a ton. He's just basically makes a cameo. He's in like two or three scenes very briefly in like a with like really long dark hair and a beard and stuff. Like it's it's easy to to miss him. Like you would not yeah. recognize him. Like he he could be Billy Connolly's like twin brother. Mm, yes. In this movie. Oh, for sure. But he, yeah, he's actually kind of a scary guy because he's talking about, you know, hey, yeah, I I almost I almost brought somebody back from the dead. Yeah. I got a little bit too close. And this is where we get the disembodied monkey's paw. Yeah, we get a disembodied hand as we were talking about. Uh, and we also, you know, there's been a lot of like monkey science in, in Frankenstein movies. <laughs> yeah. So we kind of get that combined into one part here. They, you know, run wires and, and like electrify it and everything but he almost breaks clerval's hand (laughs) yeah he like won't let go and you know 
uh, Victor real quick is like, I need to reverse the polarity. <laughs> right. Uh, reverse the polarity works every time. Oh yeah. So the monkey lets go or the, the paw lets go and, and you know, Henry's free. Uh, and during this scene also, there's a couple good spinning signs wheels in the background. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we don't, have, we don't see a lot of those in this movie, but we do have them in this scene at least. Oh, we get another one where there's like three or four of them. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Victor's lab's crazy when we get to that. He's got mm-hmm. some really interesting stuff going on. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, he, you know, after seeing all that, Victor's like, I want to work with you. Uh, and Waldman's like, you can't tell anybody what we're doing here. Like, it's right. it's complete secrecy. And then we get some stuff that, boy, is very, very <laughs> relevant today. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Turns uh, out there might be a play going on. And this, I don't yeah. think, is in the book. So, like, this no. is something that Branna added, which is funny I that, think, like, it's still relevant today. Well, in the book, I think there was mention of a plague. And I think there might have been a lockdown that happens in the plague. But it's not front and center like it is here. Yeah. Where Waldman's actually giving inoculations to citizens to prevent the spread <laughs> of, uh, you know, whatever's going on. Yeah. So, we, I mean, we get the scene where it's like there's a clinic that's opened up and like citizens are coming through and victor and henry and waldman are all kind of helping out giving vaccines they kind of are discussing it while they're doing it that like you know this is a way to extend life you know which is another way to create life like this is all part of the same thing i think that's where like you, you get some stuff from like waldman where he's like i got too close before I created an abomination. And then, yeah, like some people are scared of the needles. Like, you know, right, they don't want that injection. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Like you're going to put something into me that I don't want in there. Like uh, and then you get this guy that like is actually Robert De Niro. But like they kind of yeah. like kind of hide it from you a little bit. You don't really see. They give him a shaggy haircut. Yeah, he is not having it. He's like this. You know, you're going to give me a pox. Right. And they're like, no, you know, this is to save you from the plague. From this, the pox. Yeah. yeah. It's clear that, like, this is a mandated thing that the, the city is making everyone in the city right. get the vaccine. And this guy is not having it to the point that he ends up pulling a knife and stabbing Professor Waldman. To death. Yeah. So, so you know, definitely feels relevant with how, like, adamant some people are about not taking a vaccine that can, you know, save people and prolong life. They even talk about, like, we need everybody in town to get this so that the town doesn't have to go in lockdown. Like, we, right. there's going to be a quarantine, and this is the way to get all of us safe and free of the quarantine and everything. I mean, it's, it's yeah, so... Yeah, hit pretty hard. Yeah, it's so, like, what we're dealing with right now that it, it's, mm-hmm. yeah, it's pretty painful. And then, yeah, so, of course, Waldman dies and... Frankenstein's taking this really hard. Yeah, and again, yeah. like, you know, somebody he cares about died and, like, this doesn't have to happen. We need to find a way to stop this. I mean, it gets to a point where it's extra poignant. He basically says that he wants everyone to live together with those they love forever in yeah. perpetuity. Yeah. Which... That 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 brings up some overpopulation issues, but you know, yeah, he's obviously not thinking two steps ahead. He's he's only one step. Yeah, and you know the thing about that's kind of interesting too is like both of these people died sort of in the process of like extending life, life. in the world. You know, like you have his mother who's giving birth, and then you have Waldman who is giving out these life saving vaccines, and and so they're mm-hmm. like cut down at a moment where they're they're the most connected with life. So it. Uh, I don't know if that was necessarily an intentional thing, but it, it kind of feels like it's really hitting the point home that life and death are these like forces that are in opposition with one another. And Victor is placing himself as the 
the thing to kind of like reset the balance. Right. And at this point, he decides, you know what? I'm going to do what Waldman uh, backed out on. I'm going to build a human. Yeah. And I'm going to use that soldier who just got hanged for killing <laughs> Waldman to do it. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, he actually manages to find Waldman's notes and like reads through them and then is like, oh, I, I understand. Like from seeing these notes, I see where he got and I see what needs to change. Like I, I know what to do. I, I've got this figured out. And he kind of tells Henry he's got this plan. And Henry is like, no, you, you can't do this. Like there's going to be a price to pay. I don't know what it's going to be, but like you can't just extend life forever. Like this, something's yeah. got to give somewhere. And Victor's like, I don't care. Whatever it is, it'll be worth it. Like we, we yeah, totally. <laughs> I, will, I will pay whatever the price is. Uh, yes, and, he will. Oh, boy, Willie. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> then we get, like, him performing surgery on the corpse, uh, you know, of the killer. He's already kind of, like, working on removing and adding parts and stuff. While he's doing that, we cut away to Elizabeth and Justine. They're, like, they've gone for a walk. And Elizabeth admits Victor hasn't written in a little while. Yeah, so she's been writing the letters for the family recently. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, we did have the one, the, the actual real letter earlier, but in the meantime, he's kind of fallen away. And she's like, I don't know if he's found someone else or if something's wrong. Like, I, I'm, I'm scared, though. I don't know what to do. Right. Um, and here, like, Justine kind of admits that she's, uh, you kind of saw earlier, but like this, she kind of explicitly states that, like, she's always loved Victor as well. And she's like, if he were mine, I would have already gone. Like, I don't know what you're right. waiting ar around for, but he's yours, so... You need to go to him now. We cut back to uh, Frankenstein uh, cutting up some more bodies. <laughs> and at this point, he's actually he actually utters the line, these bodies are just raw materials. Which yeah. will come back several times. Oh, yeah. And I think at this point, I, he's he's getting a brain, and I'm, I'm pretty sure it's, it's Waldman's. Yeah. So yeah. He, he, he gets a brain from Waldman. He also takes some parts from various, like, dead cholera patients. You know, this, this plague is spread. But uh, I have good news about Waldman's brain. One, he doesn't put it in a glass jar. <laughs> Two, he doesn't smash it against a wall. So we're move, we're, we're doing well in the, with this Frankenstein. Yeah. Yeah, this is the first time I think that the brain has, like, made it into the body without getting Intense. damaged. Uh, right. Don't worry. There will be some brain damage later. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and then we get the uh, sort of addition of some, like, weird Frankenstein technology in this that is unique to this movie and, like, super gross. <laughs> Are we bringing up the eels or the amniotic fluid? The amniotic yeah, well, yeah, uh, yep. he, So, like, he's just at a hospital collecting buckets of amniotic, amniotic fluid. fluid. As women's oh, water are breaking, like, he's just, like, underneath them with a bucket saving it. Right. He goes and pay, pays for it. Pays money for this. Yeah. You know, that's got to... I don't know. I've not really smelled it, like, in the moment, but I'm sure after a while that's that can't smell good. Yeah, and he he uh, <laughs> he takes it home with him and does an experiment with a frog uh, using the fluid and stuff, and it works. The frog comes back to life, and so you know, as you do, like you're immediately like, well, it worked on a frog. Time to move right on to humans. <laughs> yeah, but of course, once he moves away, the frog kicks and smashes out of the petri dish. <laughs> it's like, oh, this is what this process does. You're basically building super soldiers at this point. Yeah. So, like, as we see with all the creatures, you know, things are disproportionate. So we've got a little mm -hmm. Frankenfrog that is <laughs> <laughs> already trouble. Definitely, definitely made just for the movie, though. Don't worry about that. Yeah. 
he's kind of starts working on the the man but before we kind of get the end results henry shows up and is like the cholera epidemic's getting worse they're about to quarantine the whole city if we want to be safe and get out of the city we have to go now like we've got to leave right. as all the other students are doing right yeah yeah they're like uh, but of course, you know, Victor being the single minded, you know, mad scientist that he is, he's like, no, I've got, you know, I've got my work. Like, I can't leave right now. And then to try to further maybe bring home the point that he should leave, Elizabeth shows up and, you know, she kind of has the same sales pitch. Like, let's get out of here. We can go home. We'll be safe. He won't. And so she's like, okay, fine, then let me stay. I can help. We can work together. I can help you with whatever you're doing. And he won't hear that either. He's like, you gotta go. Yeah, he's, he's like, I love you, but the work comes first right now. I have to get this done. Then we can be together, but this has to come first. So definitely don't put work before family, folks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so then we get the revival scene after Elizabeth goes away sad. And this scene is crazy elaborate like we've got so much stuff going on there's this whole like elaborate rail system in the ceiling of like rigging where like the body is sort of like sliding around we got the science wheels (laughs) yeah like five of them yeah and so then we get like the body gets lowered down into this like basically like a giant like copper sarcophagus or brass or something but like this huge i mean it's a sarcophagus there's really no other word for it It, it, it's lowered down in it you got the wheels going and then above the sarcophagus there's this horrifying looking like (laughs) balloon thing that's like twitching and like throbbing like it almost looks like a hot air balloon but it's not round it's got like bumps coming out of it like it just it looks like some sort of like organ itself like it just looks like it looks super gross and the reason is that it is full of eels eels. (laughs) electric eels not my view yeah so he like turns a valve and it just dumps a bunch of eels eels into the sarcophagus thing now i'm not gonna lie i was like really is this We're, we're using eels and not actual electricity well turns out we're using all of it we're using Real electricity, we're using electric eels, just as much electricity as we could possibly get our hands on. We're doubling, tripling, <laughs> quadrupling down on electricity. Yeah, I mean, just as soon as you see the lab, you know, like this this is not a Victor Frankenstein who's like going to half-ass things. He is going to throw He's everything at this. <laughs> yeah. But can we also talk about how, like his father, the Frankenstein family likes to practice medicine half-naked? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because, because he's, once again, he's wearing that... that flowing bathrobe thing as he's coming in like dancing into the scene basically like it, it disappears halfway through he like slings it off yeah. and when he's actually reviving the creature he is mounting the sarcophagus in like a lover's fashion oh yeah yeah that so, feels like that's that's a, an intentional little metaphor like he's creating life so you know you know <laughs> a little less uh, obvious than the last movie we talked about but yeah <laughs> uh but yeah so there's like a glass window in, in the box and like he can see that the creature's kind of twitching around so uh he's kind of like goes to like drain the water and the eels out and the box kind of like falls over and dumps the creature out onto the ground and he's like slippery with the amniotic fluid <laughs> oh this is also when we get our first it's alive yeah uh and then we get this like sort of almost comedic scene where like yeah victor and the creature are just like rolling around both of them are like <laughs> in various stages of undress uncomfortably uh, long by the way yeah. the creature completely butt naked if i don't know if that's a prosthetic penis that robert de niro has on or if it's a real thing if it's a real thing good for you bob <laughs> but 
<laughs> I mean, yeah, you, you get to see monster penis. So yeah. enjoy that if you're into that. Yeah, it's pretty quick. It's you know, it's yeah. not as gratuitous as some things in the other in the previous movie again. But no, <laughs> it's there. Yeah, and but they they flop around on each other for a while. He's trying to, and so you know, like. They're slippery, obviously, from the yeah, from the like, amniotic fluid. <laughs> but also, the creature doesn't have like full, you know, motor skills yeah. yet. So that kind of combines to where like they can't, you know, Victor's trying to get him to stand up, and he can't get him to. Uh, finally, he kind of like half gets him to stand up, and sort of like loops his arms into like a bunch of just like rigging that's hanging down like chains and ropes and stuff so he's like kind of like half standing up from that. But then Victor slips. Still, he falls. And somehow, like, I guess pulls a rope or something and a weight, you know, like, it kind of reminds me of, like, backstage of a theater, you know, where you just have, like, the bags of sand and stuff that you can kind of control things. But this, like, heavy weight just, like, flies down and hits the creature right on the head. (laughs) So there's our brain damage. Yeah, yeah co- possibly causing all the problems in the future. Yeah, I who, doubt it, but maybe. Who, yeah, who knows? But you, we got to have like at least a hint that like maybe there's something wrong with the brain. So we get that. But also the creature gets like lifted up off the ground in the process. And it's just kind of like hanging up sort of in like Christ pose. Yeah, T-pose. Yeah. And uh, this is where we get all of these movies. You know, like you have Victor who is like single minded. Like I've got to create this creature. I've got to find the secrets of life. And then we always get that, that flip where suddenly he's like, I hate what I've done. This thing is an abomination it always feels abrupt to me like it never feels quite earned this one's a little better but it still feels pretty quick like he sees the creature hanging up there and he's like what have i done you know right uh, and he says something like tomorrow this journal and its secrets must be destroyed well not only that in the final page of the journal he literally writes the creature's malfunctional it's an abomination it's malfunctioning it's not working right like it has Super strength, but no motor reflexes, no brain waves to speak of. It is an abomination. I shouldn't have made this thing. Yeah, so I guess he's just, you know, the flopping around convinced him that, like, this creature's just not there. <laughs> As opposed to a newborn baby. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That needs a little bit of time to get all those, you know, everything kind of communicating with each other the way it's supposed to. And so the creature, while it was hanging from the ceiling, it's just kind of, like, unconscious, you know, presumably from the, the head injury. <laughs> but So when he wakes up, the creature is alive. It wasn't dead, uh, or it wasn't in a coma, or whatever. It, um, and then we get, like, a sort of really weird scene where you sort of, like, get a voiceover, and he's, like, kind of flashes and stuff yeah it's kind of like a nightmare but not yeah yeah like he's awake and i guess it's sort of maybe like his conscience in a way or something but you get this line that's like do you think this thing will thank you for the for its monstrous birth that's coming from the overlaid vision of professor Kremp. yeah so you know and that sort of justifies the flip like of course okay if this creature is an abomination even unto itself it's not going to be happy that it has been created and so you need to put an end to this thing's suffering basically in a way how do you do that (laughs) with a giant fuck off axe that's how you do it (laughs) yeah but of course the creature escapes we get some kind of like scenes of it sort of hiding out in the city like you know huddled it steals some clothes yeah yeah it's got like a it's almost like a duster kind of coat with like a hood and that's pretty much its only clothes it kind of you know it uses the hood to kind of disguise itself so people don't see you know that it's got stitches all over him and everything right but then of course there's like a market then the creature smells food in the market food. goes and like sees some bread and just kind of like tries to take it well you don't just steal in the market <laughs> yeah so then that's when we we get our angry mob well first they think he's he's one of the people spreading the plague because obviously welts and cuts on the face somehow equal i well the welts at least equal plague right 
yeah to a degree. yeah i think so like, like a lady oh, those guys spread the plague yeah a lady like points and is like he's he's the the cause of the plague you know he started yeah. this and so we get like an elaborate you know like a long kind of scene of him like running and trying to escape and he ends up jumping into a cart full of dead plague victims and just kind of like plays dead and that's how he escapes yeah and he ends up in a pond running through that to try to get anywhere away from the city yeah we cut back to victor waking up and henry's there and he's caring yeah. for him uh, it, a nice bowl of chicken soup. Yeah. <laughs> uh, At least chicken stock, I'm assuming. <laughs> yeah, so and it turns out that Victor, he worked himself to uh, the point that he got pneumonia. So he doesn't have the plague, but he did get really sick. And, you know, Henry's been kind of taking care of him while he's been out. So they kind of talk about that the plague's still going, though, you know, even though Victor was safe from it. Right. <laughs> we get this kind of ominous line where Henry's like, the, the, the plague is... Uh, it's killing off anybody who doesn't have food and shelter. Right. And Victor's like, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, like, we know that he's like, oh, good. Then this will kill off the creature. Uh, yeah. But Henry's like, what? <laughs> you know, what? Right. <laughs> You're happy yeah. that people are dying? But, of course, by then, we're, this is broken up by some beautiful piano music being played. Yeah. <laughs> And it turns out he has another visitor, uh, Elizabeth, who, yeah. you know, is happy to see him up and, or, you know, awake again. She's worried about his work, you know, that he's he's worked himself to this point. And he's like, don't worry, you know, the work is done. It's dead. Well, he, he's a little wrong there, but he doesn't know that. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, Liz, Liz and Victor are back together. Yeah. They're back in love. They embrace. It's good to see the happy couple that, happy for yeah. a moment. Well, yeah. <laughs> but, of course, you know, Echoing that music, we also then skip to the forest where the monster is running through it and we hear some recorder music being played. Yeah. So we, we he comes upon uh, a little shack in the woods and hears the music. And I think he like hears a family approaching and he kind of goes to hide in like a nearby uh, like a pig pen that's sort of like attached to the house. Like stables almost. Yeah. Like yeah. It, it's it's, you know, kind of mud floor. There's a bunch of pigs in there and he kind of hides around a corner they kind of go in to feed the pigs and like throw some pig slop and you know of course then he like crouches down with the pigs and is like eating the slop so like yeah this monster ain't picky at all he'll go for whatever's yeah there. like clearly you know he is he, i mean he's basically feral at this point and is you know suffering like he's just anything he can do to survive so he just kind of continues to live in the stable and he kind of listens to the family through the wall and sort of like becomes friend it it, it kind of reminds me of listening to podcasts you know where like oh, yeah. you become friends with the these people who like you know they don't hear you you're just hearing their side of the story um and so he just kind of like hangs out and listens to them talk through the wall and we find out he has victor's journal but he can't read it but of course we have a few we have a few notable faces here that they're they're familiar to a degree of course we have the son we have the wife who wouldn't be familiar to us we have a daughter but we have an old blind man. Yes. Yeah, he's making dinner for everybody. Yeah. We recognize him from the bride, and uh, <laughs> it's just like this happy family. In the bride, you know, the, the blind man was sort of by himself, but, like, here he's got sort of a caring family with him. But we do find out that they're kind of starving, too. Like, it's very cold. They're poor. They're, like, thinking about trading one of the pigs to try to get some produce because their field full of potatoes is just frozen to the point that they can't even harvest them. 
Right. They can't even work the dirt yeah. to a degree. It would take like an army of men to plow this field. Right. Uh, so they kind of, they, I think they pull up like three or four potatoes and like that's, that's <laughs> right. going to be their dinner for the night and they, they don't know what they're going to do. But they can't sell the pigs because of the plague basically. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the town's under quarantine, so they can't even get there to, to sell the pigs even if they wanted to. So then like that night, the creature goes out and just harvests the entire field of potatoes for them. I could see this going a whole nother way if the creature had just introduced introduced himself with that whole harvest of potatoes yeah yeah these frankenstein movies like to do this where they like give us an idea of a, a good life for the creature and then pulling it out from under us yeah and it feels it like much this... but it's honest work yeah so you know the family like they're, they're kind of confused they don't know how this happened where these you know who helped them the mm-hmm. son of the family is a little bit skeptical you know he's kind of like there's got to be a reason for this i want to know why yeah, you don't just get good stuff for free yeah exactly that just doesn't happen but meanwhile, the, you know, the little girl is like, you know, it's probably the, the good spirit of the forest. And she starts like leaving little notes and little like gifts for him, basically. So the creature sort of made this friendship that is sort of one sided. But like, at least, he you know, he's doing things for them secretly. And, you know, he gets to like listen to the great. In this, the, the blind man plays like a flute instead of a violin. or It's like a recorder yeah. kind recorder. of thing. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, he's able to listen to that through the wall. He listens in as like the mom is like teaching the the daughter how to read. So he's like using Victor's journal, like teaching himself how to read. Uh, so it's just like this yeah. really great arrangement for him, you know, like it's it's just working out. Yeah. And the monster seems happy to a degree. Yeah. Yeah. He's kind of learning some words like to speak and to read. And then we kind of cut back to Victor and Elizabeth. They're talking about like they're actually going to get married. Like they're really engaged now. And they invite Henry to come back to Geneva with them to work at Victor's practice. So Mm -hmm. like they've kind of got this good thing going. Like we're at this point where everybody's happy and you just kind of want the movie to end. Like let's just (laughs) happily ever after for everybody. This is going to work out. But to shatter all of that, the landlord for the family who is evil because he's a landlord and all landlords are evil i mean it's just a fact yeah (laughs) he shows up and he's like threatening and everything and then like the creature just takes him out like he just the rest of the family's gone and it's just the uh the grandfather so the creature just like kills the landlord (laughs) honestly this is it's kind of funny how it happens because the landlord comes in he like kicks the girl off the girl goes running to get help and he starts beating on the grandfather and then he hears the noise inside the house and he goes to investigate it. And it's like the monster just takes a step out, grabs him, and like slings him up against the roof of the house and then proceeds to just kill him. Yeah. It's like, okay, that's kind of funny, but yeah. <laughs> and so then like the, the blind man's like, all right, come on in. Come on in, friend. Like, you know, I've, I... you, you killed our landlord. You can't be that bad. <laughs> yeah. And you kind of get the sense that he maybe has known that somebody's been there for a while between like the gifts and like, you know, just blind man hearing or whatever. Like maybe he's known that this guy has just been hiding out in the pig's die this whole time but he seems to be helpful so obviously we're not going to raise too much of a stink about it yeah so they kind of like have a moment where they kind of hang out together and you know the creature basically is like people don't like me i'm hideous no one will accept me and the blind man like feels his face and is like oh yeah you've had a hard life but like you're welcome here and he's like don't you have any friends and he's like i have some friends but they don't really know me referring to the family and then the rest of the family shows up and you know Things don't go well. So, like, the father sees this strange, you know, ugly creature and starts beating him and kicking him out, like, pushes him out into the, you know, the yard, like, get out of here. And then we see the creature just, like, crying alone in the snow for a little while. And it's not normal cry. It is is full-on ugly cry. Yeah. 
it's it's really heartrending. It, yeah, it really is. I mean, it, you know, again, this is like this was his chance, and like it, it it just all fell apart. So like every good thing that he's had in his entire life was just taken from him suddenly. To be fair, if the son had also asked questions, we could have avoided this yeah. too. But ah, uh, communication it's important. <laughs> yeah. And, like, it even, like, so the creature kind of gets to a point where he's, like, he goes back to the cabin. Like, maybe he wants to try this again. Maybe we can clear up the confusion. Well, they ain't there because they left because, well, their landlord's dead now. Yeah, their landlord's dead, and the father's clearly, like, skeptical of what's going on. And he just wants to get his family to safety. So the the creature just kind of sits down and starts reading through the journal and, like, reads Victor's words about how he's a horrible abomination, basically. <laughs> yeah, that'll do it to you, yeah. won't it? So he snaps, he burns down the cabin, and you get this great moment of him like out in front of the burning building, and he's like, I will have my revenge, Frankenstein. Yes, that's a great, that's that's probably the shining, well, not the shining moment, but it's definitely, it definitely went into the trailers. Yeah. We'll say that. Yeah. So, yep. So, so he's ready to go to Geneva. Yeah, we get like this scene of him just like walking through the snow. He's just, I mean, we're not sure exactly where he is at the moment, but theoretically close to Ingolstadt where he was created. And he just walks the whole way to Geneva <laughs> and just coincidentally happens to find the Frankenstein house. At the Frankenstein home, they're preparing for the wedding. Everybody's kind of, yeah. you know, in good spirits. Everything's, you know, going well. Willie goes to play out in the woods. And he hears some some familiar recorder music being played yeah uh and he also he so victor has given elizabeth a locket with a picture of himself in it in <laughs> instead of a ring like he's gonna give her a yeah. ring but he can't afford it yet so this locket's kind of taking that place for the moment but willie wanted to look at it and he has run off into the woods with the locket of course kids so he hears the music he you know goes to follow the music like as the creature did and comes upon the creature and drops the locket tries to run away then you know we kind of cut to the creature has he finds the locket and sees victor and is like oh okay so yeah this is my enemy i'm in the right place we don't really see what happens to willie like it's but we do see him stalking off towards where the kid went (laughs) yeah uh, and the next thing we know is, like, the family's like, Willie's missing. He should be back by now. They, uh, it's qu- quite late, right? Yeah, yeah. So they, they've started a search. They're all looking for him. Justine just re- runs off kind of in, by herself and goes up into, like, a, the hills and finds herself into, like, a, a small cabin. Yeah, and there's, like, this bit where she's, like, laying there sort I'm of, tired. like... Yeah, I don't know if she's, like, in like grieving or what, but she's basically, like, laying on the ground in this little shed or something, kind of, like, twitching Sleeping. but unconscious or out of it. And the creature kind of goes in, and, you know, you think he's going to kill her, too, but instead he leaves the locket with her. Yep, lays it right on her. Yeah, and so he, he leaves... Meanwhile, Elizabeth has found Willie, and she's, like, carrying his dead body. It very much feels like the Maria That's scene. That's a callback. Yeah, because yeah. she's carrying him, like, you know, limp in her arms and everything. So, you know, she's obviously heartbroken. Everybody's mourning. And then, meanwhile, they notice that Justine is now missing as well. Yeah, and, of course, Miss Moretz, she said some nasty things while uh, Justine was trying to help Elizabeth fit in her dress. And uh, she's she's a little worried and feels bad about that. Yeah. So they're getting ready to, like, start another search, going to do a second right. search party. Well, turns out somebody's already found Justine. Yeah, the police found her unconscious with the locket. So they're like, she's the murderer. Right. As, as opposed to literally bring her to anybody and be like, hey, is it there a good chance that she did the murder of the kid? <laughs> Yeah, like they don't even bring her to the family. They're just like, we we have the murderer. She's at the jail. 
Uh, and they're like, we're going to hang her. Yeah. So they like go running down to the jail and it's like, you know, it's kind of like that frontier justice thing where like a mob has sort of broken Justine out of jail to hang her before she even has any sort of trial or yeah. anything. And yeah. And, no say, no trial. Yeah. Yeah. And they do. They like, they put a noose around her neck and like throw her over the city wall. Like she has a long drop. Well, can we talk about how like this is kind of overblown? <laughs> like I, I enjoyed it. It's very dramatic. But there is no way you fall that far, that fast, and your head doesn't come off. Oh, yeah. Like, well, also, it's kind of a, all right, well, we'll get to it. But they, like, throw her at least a good, what, 50 feet in the air? <laughs> yeah. Effectively. And, like, she comes down. I mean, I, she obviously has a bungee harness because you actually see the rope spring back. But it's like, geez, if that was a real thing. Oh, yeah. Like, once she hit the bottom of that 50 feet. There's there's no way the head doesn't roll. Yeah, yeah, it, it's definitely just played for like dramatic. You know, it's to to look yeah, more dramatic. dramatic. So like, it's a long drop, and the family like sees her falling, and you can't stop anything. And yeah, it's right. it's just so that you can live in that moment of dread as she falls for a little longer. Yeah, but yeah, so then like that night, the creature shows up and like confronts Victor, but he's just like, "I'll meet you on the Sea of Ice," and then he just leaves. Right. Yeah, it's it's basically right after they cut Justine down. Like, he's like, all right, guys, you know, we'll cut her down. We'll bury her in the morning, you know, just take a rest. And then when he's by himself, the monster just grabs him and is like, all right, buddy, I'm not going to kill you here. You meet me on the Sea of Ice and we'll have a conversation. Yeah. So, yeah, and it's like the next morning, Victor is telling Elizabeth and Henry that he has to go. And they don't. As he's loading his pepper box. <laughs> yeah, and they don't really understand, but he's like, I, you know, I have to do this. I, tr just trust me. I got some killing to do. <laughs> yeah. And it's weird because it's like, you know, he's just out in this like tundra basically, but somehow they manage to find each other. Yeah. I do like how he actually gets like the, the climbing gear, like the, the pickaxe yeah. and like climbs up a massive mountain yeah, he, by himself. Yeah. He climbs up the side of an ice wall. He gets up to the top and the creature like leaps onto him. Uh, mm -hmm. and they like fall through a hole into like this ice cave. And of course, Victor's human. So he kind of gets KO'd by this <laughs> and the monsters being the monster or the creature doesn't. <laughs> yeah. So then like when Victor wakes up, they like, they're just sitting in there and they just, they have this like long conversation. And like, I, this is sort of the centerpiece of the movie for me. Like this mm -hmm. conversation is something that we don't really get in any other Frankenstein movie or we haven't so far where you get like yeah. the creation being able to talk to his creator and tell him how he feels about everything. Right. And he's, he's like, listen, you, you made me, but you made me all by myself. Yeah. You gave me these emotions, but you didn't tell me how to use them. Um, and, Very good. Yeah. And he says something like, what of my soul? Do I even have one? Um, am I many souls from all these parts or no soul at all? Uh, where does this very philosophical? Yeah. Yeah. And you know, ultimately it gets to where he says, I need a companion. Like if you make me a companion, no human will ever set eyes on us again. We will go, we will right. head to the North pole. We'll just hide out and we'll live our own sort of, you know, monstrous life away from the eyes of humanity. Yeah. I think as he says it, he says, uh, just one life for all of others. Yeah. And he says, he has a great, he says, I have love in me, the likes of which you can scarcely imagine and rage the likes of which you could not believe. Yeah. If you don't, if I don't, uh, what, if I don't receive one, I'll, I'll indulge the other. Yeah, exactly. That's so, that's a hell of a threat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so Victor, like he agrees. So this movie kind of takes Frankenstein and the bride of Frankenstein and kind of combines them. Yeah. I mean, that is book accurate. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, definitely. I mean, 
Um, so, so Victor heads home and talks to Elizabeth and is like, I need one more month to work before the wedding. Right. And, you know, Elizabeth is not happy about that. They, they fight and she's like decided she's moving out. She's leaving. She's like packing. She's done with this. Yeah. Yeah. And the creature shows up to Victor with Justine's body. She's right. she's been hanged, so you know Victor's like not her. And oh, <laughs> but of course the monster says, "Materials, remember nothing more." Yeah, you said so yourself. <sighs> Raw materials. Uh, your words. <laughs> Throw them back in his face. Yeah, and it's, but, Victor's kind of like not. You know, he, this is seeing this real much. person that he knows. It's too far. Yeah. But he, the creature says, if you deny me my wedding night, I will be with you, I'll be on, with yours. you on yours. Hell, the, the monster just has all the all the great lines, you know what I mean? He really he's, does. He's got all the good ones. And, you oh, know, like, so good. He, you know, it's it's Robert De Niro. And, like, so he just he just knocks out of the park. He's so good in this. Yeah, I mean, this was when he was at his prime. Well, more or less at his prime. I mean, it was, it was what, 20 years after Taxi Driver almost? Yeah. Uh, so, but still. Like this is prime time De Niro. It's it's good stuff. And like the creature makeup looks so good. Like it, you know, it's not the exaggerated sort of thing we've seen with all the Universal movies and stuff. But it really just looks like if you sewed a bunch of dead bodies together to make a person. Right. Like, well, another cool step is though that like it's very subtle, very subtle. They actually remove the stitches mm-hmm. as you go further along in the movie. Yeah. Yeah, there's so one part where you see like him picking face. some out from one part of him, but yeah, it's slowly like more of them get removed as the movie goes on. Like he is healing into a single being. Yeah. And he's still, oh, you know, that, really very cool. scarred and his like his mouth is kind of pulled up where it's like two different right. parts and stuff, but like yeah, he's slowly healing and becoming one thing. Right. At this point, like Victor, you know, Victor refuses and goes back home and is talking. Tries to run off, right? Yeah, yeah. So he's talking to Elizabeth and, you know, he's like, I've done something so evil that I'm afraid I'll lose you if I tell you. Well, she goes, if you don't tell me, you're going to lose me. Yeah. So, like, they kind of have this moment and finally, like, she says, marry me today. Let's just get married. Let's forget all of the, you know, wedding plans. Let's just do it. Marry me today. And then you can tell me tomorrow and then, you, you know, you're safe because we're married and we're together forever. Yeah. And because Victor is definitely not the one to think two steps ahead, he agrees. <laughs> yeah. He says, yes, this is a logical and smart thing to do <laughs> yeah. before I've fulfilled any of my other obligations. Right. Yeah. So they get married. They put together like a wedding party slash hunting party and they like leave town uh, like when they're getting married, the father is in bed. Like, so he's already either sickly or he's too tired to do anything. Yeah. The wedding's at his bedside. He blesses them, kind of gives away the bride to a degree. But yeah, then they go, the hunting party or the posse gets assembled. Yeah. So they're like sort of heading out on their honeymoon slash hunting for the creature at the same time. Mm-hmm. So they leave and. Turns know. out they could have just stuck around. <laughs> yeah. So the creature sneaks in and kills Victor's father. Um, and you know, it gets late. And so they decide to stop for the night at a lodge for the, for their honeymoon. And like the sort of posse, those guys kind of just, you know, they're like, go on up to your room. You know, Victor, you only have one wedding night, so we'll keep a guard. We'll watch. We'll, you know, we'll look for the creature. Literally. These are the, the most worthless posse members. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So. We we do get, like, Victor goes to the room and, like, you know, again, he's not so single-minded that he can't, like, experience his life. So yeah. they have, like, a very, like, real passionate sort of love scene where they're kind of, like, you know, rolling around in bed and kissing and talking. And, like, it 
it feels very honest and and real yeah it's a very sweet moment yeah the it, you do get an escape from all the horrors until victor hears a flute in the distance yeah and of course he goes checking but uh turns out that was a trick by the monster because uh, as liz uh, lays down and rests in her postcoital moments uh, she sees the monster directly overhead. Yeah. So he comes in and like kind of covers her mouth and, you know, be quiet. And says, don't scream. Yeah. yeah. Um, so they like Victor kind of searches a little bit, but like he kind of quickly does realize like, oh, wait, something's up. So he runs right. back to the room. He breaks down the door and the creature like rips, shoves his hand right into her chest, pulls out her heart. Yeah. And like shows it. Yeah. Shows heart. it to Victor still beating. What does he say, Anthony? I keep my promises. Yes, yes, he does. Victor has failed in all of his promises, whereas the creature has not. Yeah. So he yep. drops Elizabeth. She like falls. Her body like hits a lantern, like catches fire. And in the commotion, the creature escapes out the window. And Victor kind of like tries to put out the fire. Then we like kind of descend into what sort of madness separates itself from the not like it kind of gets away from the novel at this point. Yeah. It almost becomes like pet cemetery in a way. Really, it does because like so we want to think that Victor is thinking very logically. So what do you do when your wife has been killed by effectively? your your son that you created uh you're going to recreate her you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna revive her yeah. that makes sense right yeah so that's what he does he goes he goes about that and of course we have another s- kind of sexy science scene because you know this is once again kenneth branagh's prime the, the guy was built good for him uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. He straddles her sarcophagus, and uh, turns out that she's a little bit lighter, so it's easier to carry her around and do CPR on <laughs> when she's revived. Yeah. And he kind of, like, I think he uses some parts from Justine, you yes. know, because the creature left Justine there. So, uh, you know, of course, Elizabeth was in rough shape from, you know, having her heart punched out and, and being, like, set on fire and everything. Uh, yeah. So. I guess that explains the extra stitches. Yeah. So she wakes up and the first thing Victor does is put the wedding ring on her. And, you know, she's all sort of weak and confused and sort of like he keeps asking, like, do you remember me? Say my name. And she doesn't, you know, she doesn't really say anything. She's very like uh, out of it. But she was th- just born, right? Yeah, yeah. But then he kind of like tries to get her to dance with him. And she either by muscle memory or just by being led by him, they kind of dance around the room. It actually goes through the effort to show you that those memories that Elizabeth had where she was enjoying life dancing, they kind of resurface to a degree. Yeah, the dance sort of conjures some of those memories. But then the creature arrives. and yeah, He has to ruin it every time. Yeah. Really. And so he sees the this female you know, monster creation, what he wanted all along. And he says, right. you know, she's beautiful. And Thank you for making her dad. <laughs> yeah. And Victor's like, she's not for you. Right. And then they kind of get in this. It's almost like parents fighting over a kid or a pet or something yeah. where they're both like calling for her to see who well, she'll it literally walk is to. Two guys, it literally is two guys fighting over this one girl and trying to make them to, to decide. Right. Yeah. Well, it turns out this is a feminist movie <laughs> because this monster, even though she does finally recognize Victor's name and she did see herself in the monster decide she's going to take agency she's done with all this crap she grabs a lamp full of oil and douses herself yeah it says I'm out yeah so she sets herself on fire and then starts like running down the hall just like setting the whole house, on, the house fire. on fire 
So we will not have a House of Frankenstein because it's all been burned down. Yeah. But there's a little bit more movie to go. <laughs> yeah. We forgot about the boat. We're back on the boat. Yep. So that, that was just a little flashback. Now we're back to the mm-hmm. present. Victor says that he's been following the creature north to kill him. Like he knew that he was going to head north, but he's just so very tired now. And he just kind of like dies. Like he just kind of... <laughs> fades away but he looked pretty good at the beginning of the movie though i didn't think he looked that tired yeah um and so the ice starts to kind of break a little bit and the captain's like as soon as we can get loose we're headed north right we're, we're, you know yeah. he still hasn't learned his lesson after hearing this whole story but then they well, you know they hear a moan here's the moaning again yeah like he's outside at this point he's left the dead victor and is talking to his crew they hear the moan from in the cabin he goes back in there and the creature is sitting there with the dead victor yeah mourning him yeah yeah so we get another really great scene with the creature the captain's like who are you and he says he never gave me a name right and he does call victor father yeah yeah he's he's crying and he's like why do you why do you weep and he says he was my father so like um yeah it's it's really a sad moment where like you know even though the creature and victor are like enemies and and have like hated each other basically this whole time like it's still his father and he's still heartbroken now Basically, as far as my memory goes, in the book, the captain comes in, sees the monster. They have a couple of small exchange, not this poignant, not this, you know, emotional. Mm -hmm. And then the monster pretty much dips out. Yeah. To disappear. But no, turns out they're going to have a funeral for Victor Frankenstein and the monster is going to be there. Yeah. With the crew. Yeah. They're just all standing around like they create a pyre. The captain's even like, you know, he belong- He deserves to be here just as much as we do. Yeah, because the crew's like, get him out of here, man. Yeah. And he's like, no, he's he needs to mourn his father. Yeah. They're getting ready to light the pyre like they have a torch that's lit. But then the ice just like breaks all at Correct. once. Like, I guess it's thin and like the water underneath kind of like is raging or something suddenly like everything's kind of thrown into to chaos the crew is having to like rush to try to get back onto the ship to be safe yeah monster falls into the water a little bit yeah and like they actually you know the captain's like come with us you know you can we can save you we can take you back you know after hearing this whole story like the captain is sort of empathetic. sympathetic to, to the creature yeah, yeah. and this uh, is, but the creature is actually the the first like emotional positive connection that he has had from an actual human being yeah in that, his, his like, entire life yeah a human that's seen him that knows where he came from that knows the truth about his whole story and is still gonna accept him uh, right. but it's kind of to be fair captain walton really could be like i want to exploit you so bad <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's true uh yeah. but either way it's too little too late and he's just like i'm done with man man um he swims with the torch like held above his head out to the the ice flow where the pyre is still sitting and he just like drops the torch on himself and the pyre and burns up himself and victor all at once and of course the crew drifts away but we do not get an abrupt end no instead we get the crescendo of triumphant music just rising up at the very end of this creature's life presumably yeah and we we do get one tiny little button where the first mate's like where to now captain and he's like home he learned his lesson yeah just that last little bit like he realizes the folly of just being so single-minded and in a pursuit of a goal so yeah and that like maybe life is more important than being famous for discovery or whatever so yeah like and i don't think that is from the book like i think that this whole sort of subplot of completely like an ahab type sea captain learning you know growing from hearing the story is unique to this and it's it's a great way to kind of like tie 
these two like disparate parts that did exist in the novel, but like, you know, this kind of makes them right. make sense together a little bit more. Yeah. It was in the book, but it wasn't as, it wasn't as blatant and obvious. Yeah. Like it was much more subtle, much more like there is parallels between these two men. That's, that's pretty much as far as it went. Yeah, exactly. Not, no, these basically are the same guy <laughs> under different circumstances. Yeah. But I got to say like when this movie came out, if I remember correctly, it was panned. It was definitely not as well received as I think it has become. Yeah, for, I think that maybe Bram Stoker's Dracula that was really well regarded, really and, overshadowed. And I don't movie. know if people just kind of got burned out on this concept, or they didn't think this one was done as well. But yeah, I definitely think that that this one has been reevaluated over time and gotten a little bit more love in recent years. Right, as as the monsters should. Uh, but yeah, I mean, there's a little bit of melodrama, but. It fits the story perfectly. Oh, yeah. Like, this is a melodramatic story. It's kind of a soap opera to a degree with revived corpses and, you know, family murder. <laughs> yeah. Things of that nature. But, you know, you need that there to, uh, it, it just makes everything fit nice and neat amidst yeah. the gore and guts. And hopefully this, this new reissue will get more eyes on it and mm-hmm. sort of get a second life with like a whole new generation discovering it. Yeah, this one's the classy one. Yeah. <laughs> and I actually, <laughs> so I sat down to watch this and pulled out my DVD copy and like, I, you know, I was thinking like, man, that new reissue looks so pretty. I don't know if I can justify buying it though since I already own it. Uh, mm-hmm. And then... <laughs> Turns out that the, the, the DVD copy I have is so old that it was in full screen. Oh, <laughs> see, you got to get the new one. Yep, I was like, well, that's all the excuse I needed. So, I, you know, I rented it, I di- yeah, watched it a different way because I'm not going to watch it in full screen. Um, yeah. But it was like, yeah, now I'm going to have to replace that copy. So sure enough, yeah. um, I'll have to get that soon. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I can't. Yeah, like this movie, I can't recommend it enough. I think like it's it made its way into like my top five Frankenstein movies already. Like at this point, it just this this watching of it just really blew me away. Yeah, I mean, at least at least on um, accurate book accuracy, it it definitely has made the extra effort, whereas everything else has has not gone that far. So good on it for that. Yeah, and I mean, aside from it just being literally the story that kind of spawned science fiction horror to a degree. Yeah. So, yep, it's good stuff. Yeah, and it's just, yeah, everybody in it is just, like, at the Mm -hmm. top of their game. You know, like we were saying, like, this Victor is is more human than we've seen before. And then the creature even is more, like, looks more human and, like, obviously is more eloquent, has all these great lines that he gives. Uh, Helena Bonham Carter, you know, she starts out as the normal love interest Elizabeth. And then at the end is this very damaged creature, you know, like burned away hair and, and scarred up and everything and like kind of twitchy in the same way that Elsa Lanchester is and, and the bride. So we get like the both sides of that. So, yeah, it's just everybody's doing, you know, just great, great Bang work. Up in job. This. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I can't recommend this one enough. All right, so that'll be this week. Uh, make sure you check us out on all the socials uh, at the Frankencast. We're at Instagram, we're at Twitter, and we are on YouTube. Uh, we're also on Spotify and anywhere else you get your good uh, podcast tastes. <laughs> your tasty podcast, sorry. Um, all right, anyway, uh, yeah, so what's happening next week? So next week, I know you're very excited. When we first started talking about doing this, there was one movie that you were like, can we do this movie? I really want to do this movie. And I was like, oh, absolutely. Of course we're going to do this movie. I Uh, want you to know, (laughs) before we go that far, I want you to know this entire month, like spring, spring is here officially. And we 
are blooming because, <laughs> all right, go go ahead and let them know what we're doing next week. Next week, we're doing Young Frankenstein. Not only Young Frankenstein, the week after, you're getting Reanimator, baby. Yes. Yeah. We got good stuff. So, yeah, Young Frankenstein, and then we're going to do, you know, a whole series of all the the Reanimator movies. So, uh, we got a lot of of good stuff to look forward to in the coming weeks. My body, the pieces of my body are ready. I'm excited. Let's do this thing. Yes. All right. Do we got anything else to do? I think that covers it. Well, in that case, to be continued. Looks like you survived another episode. The Freaking Cast is a production of FCR Media. It's hosted by Anthony Bowman and Eric Velasquez. Follow us on Twitter at The Freaking Cast. Or send us a letter at thefreakingcast at gmail.com. Our cover art is by Amanda Keller. You can find her at Keller Illustrations on Instagram. Our theme music is by Vivek Abhishek. Thanks for listening. <laughs>